Hey there, Jonathan Bailey Strong here, host of this podcast and founder of Spotlight Podcasting, the agency that does all the production behind the scenes for the show. Now, I wanted to let you know before we start that we are actively seeking guests for this podcast. So if you are or you know of an established consultant that's doing over six figures in business annually, please send them our way. All they have to do is head on over to leadersofconsulting.com forward slash guest. So welcome back to Leaders of Consulting. Today I'm here with Deepak Lalwani, who's a management consulting professional with over 15 years of planning and managing change for strategy and transformation programs experience. That includes everything from SaaS technology implementations, business process redesign, uh, merger, na- merger and acquisitions integration, operating model organizational design, and outsourcing shared uh, and shared services. So Deepak, thank you so much for coming on the show. Pleasure to have you on. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Jonathan. It's an honor. Absolutely. I'm sure there's plenty uh, we can dive into. Uh, we we're just talking about the differences of uh, communication between Brits and and, and the Yanks. So yeah, definitely some uh, good talking points there. But let's start off with your go-to tip, tool, or strategy that you would recommend to other consultants. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the the most missed opportunities is is never starting from scratch. A lot of people that think they need to do that, but I, I always like to get started with an existing format, template, or draft that can be created or reviewed. You know, I never like starting from scratch, and I never like going in empty-handed to to a meeting with an executive. You know, always starting with a draft has worked for me. I love that. Um, can you, can, can you give me some, some examples of what that might look like, like in terms of a document template I'm thinking? Or- yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, this week, um, for a pharmaceutical client, for example, um, I'm standing up what's called a change agent network around a process and technology adoption for an enterprise technology, really, uh, at, uh, a pharmaceutical company. And there's a specific template that we've used over and over. Um, and so I, uh, I present it just about every month along with some of the business and technology leaders of this project. And, and I make updates to it based on, I start with last month's draft, for example. So last month being January, 2022, this month being February, 2022, I would start with January's deck, for example, and, uh, make updates to that, get it to a certain place. Try not to beat myself up about it, you know, get it as far as I can as an individual and then open it up for review and updates. Um, you know, right now we're using Microsoft Office 365, so it's really easy to put it in the cloud and um, kind of assign uh, specific slides to different people uh, of the project team and have them make updates and or actually present that slide to the population uh, that we need to. Yeah, I love that. So so I hear you saying, you know, presentations, meeting agendas, uh, emails. Do you, you try and apply that all areas if you can? <laughs> I do. I really, really don't think there's a reason to reinvent the wheel if you don't have to. Um, a lot of the projects I do specializing in process and enterprise technology implement implementation and adoption, you have to come in with experience. And, and when you do have experience, 
you have to use that and you have to put it in front of the client and then engage them and have a dialogue or discussion with them to let them know this is what works for you in the past. So bringing that to a client is really helpful instead of starting from scratch. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Great. So all about the templates. I love that. Um, how about a useful resource, uh, something that you've found that has had a big impact on you, your maybe it's career-wise or profession? Yeah. Whether a solo or boutique consulting or an independent consulting, you know, the way it starts is you just work at a big firm. It mm. helps to work at an implementation company consultancies such as an Accenture, Deloitte, or KPMG, or come out from one of the strategy houses like a McKinsey and a Bain or a BCG. And then once you once you go from there, I decided to open up my own shop eight years ago. And uh, you get really good at client delivery and packaging your materials and presenting to clients. But what consultants don't get uh, really well uh, sharpened in is... Um, really marketing and, and business development. And uh, when I went eight years ago searching for that information, there, there's not a lot of books there. One of them that I found really helpful in the past several years is uh, David A. Fields, The Ir Irresistible Consultant's Guide to Winning Clients, Six Steps to Unlimited Clients and, and Financial Freedom. Fantastic book. Yeah. Yeah. I, I say that because it's one of the few that is a good playbook you know, end-to-end -end, uh, methodology approach summary on how to do marketing and, and, and business development to gain clients or, or to continue to work with existing clients. Um, because marketing and business development is its own animal. You know, the book doesn't teach you how to do strategy consulting, or in my case, strategy execution or implementation, you know, another word for that. That's something you learn working at, you know, bigger consultancies. So it's good to have a guide or a playbook that you can often refer to. And I find that one to be probably one of the stronger ones in the marketplace. Are there any, are there any particular lessons in that book that, or, or chapters that stood out to you that, you can, that come to mind? Well, yeah. I mean, obviously taking, you know, the elevator speech and taking that and going to the fishing line. I think that's a nice pivot and play and there, there's more you can do with the fishing line. For example, my focus is typically uh, Fortune 1000 clients, typically in the Northeast region that have a process and enterprise technology adoption issue. You know, with COVID, it, you know, I'm doing more and more virtual work. So it opens up outside of the North and Northeast because I simply am just not doing as much travel as I used to. And frankly, I'm enjoying that. Um, so the fishing line comes to mind. Also, his marketing musts. Um, he says two out of five, you know, whether that's uh, being digital, which is all the more important, uh, doing a trade show, doing uh, guest speaking or webinars, and the other one's just writing. And then the fifth one being networking. I, I feel like you always have to do networking. I, I think that's just table stakes and then add two on top of that. So maybe a trade show or writing or guest speaking, but he talks about two out of the five, but I think you're better off doing three out of five. One of them being networking as a requirement. <laughs> mm. And so if I could just take you back though, the, uh, the fishing line analogy, can you explain that one uh, for listeners? 
Yeah, absolutely. It's where you come up with a pithy statement that you use over and over with your prospects or your current clients that focuses on um, your na- your niche or specificity in the marketplace. And, and you don't want to make it too broad, but you don't want to make it as short as an elevator speech. So, so finding your niche um, and, and making sure it's the right size. So, you know, it's a great analogy because you, you can hook on to, to fish in the sea. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Um, and how about, could you tell us about, so obviously, you know, we've got the uh, book that's had a big impact on you. Uh, can you tell us about someone influential uh, that's had a big impact on your career or, or your personal life? You know, consulting is definitely uh, very up and down. And, you know, as an independent boutique, for example, there's a lot of ebb and flow with some of the clients you get. Um, So, for example, you can have a great fishing line and do three of the five marketing musts, but projects or transformations may still not convert. So, um, you know, I uh, obviously, so my wife, uh, has an important impact on me. Um, she's helped me, you know, with the ebb and flows and helped me to provide, uh, just to find the right routines and the cadences and the frequencies I need to be kind of successful and, and engaged, you know, how to use my time more wisely, uh, in setting routines. Um, you know, it's been, she's been helpful with some of that ebb and flow and getting used to that. Yeah, I love that. I I would say that probably uh, my wife is also probably my my closest confidant and advisor. She's the person who always gives me the the sage words of advice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I can I can uh, definitely um, yeah relate to that. Yeah, and on the on the professional side, obviously David A. Fields with his book. I've also taken you know his workshop, and that's been really helpful. Mm, excellent. Yeah. He's someone I'd love to have on, on this podcast, actually. Yeah, he's definitely on the list. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm curious. So, so Deepak, you mentioned a little bit about, you know, the work that you do. You mainly focus on Northeast and um, Fortune 500. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about the those kind of clients that you work with? Like what characteristics do they share and how do you reach them? How Where where do you find them? Do you, what is there a particular sort of? I mean, because uh, because of the pandemic um, and uh, the travel requirements have loosened, you know, I've been doing a lot more work kind of nationally, really. So I get a lot of activity on LinkedIn. I think that's kind of where it starts. I am active on LinkedIn. You know, my profile is update, up to date. Excuse me. I have a company page. And so I try to be very active on LinkedIn. And in doing so, it started, it starts activity and correspondences with prospects. You know, sometimes, oftentimes it could be a middleman, whether a recruiting firm or another boutique that can use your skill set. So I find LinkedIn is probably where things really get initiated and, and something you can kind of take offline to to either email or then an audio or video conference conversation. Yeah, great. Yeah, it's really interesting. I've, I've been spending uh, a lot more time on LinkedIn these days, actually, myself. I'm curious, like, have you, so since you started using it, have you noticed certain things work really well, um, particular ways of engaging it that 
maybe aren't as intuitive to most people? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I mean, I do try to either write or post articles related to my bread and butter, you know, which is uh, change management and business transformations, but specifically process and enterprise technology um, implementation and adoption challenges. So applying the fishing line in that capacity on LinkedIn for stuff that you your niche or, or what you work at and uh you know posting articles and materials related to your fishing line i think works best i think i found that uh helpful and and, and helps with generating activity yeah yeah absolutely that's great yeah i've i've actually gone through a program myself just recently where i was like posting every single day for for 30 days i managed to make it all the way through how did how did that and you know some some people may think that's excessive. I, I think what I've found over time is just being consistent. So at minimum, I try to I try to post you know once a week or once every two weeks, but then just kind of be consistent and put it on a schedule, as opposed to uh, you know when when there is when there is a an ebb and flow. Um, I rather just be consistent and. Uh, just post consistently as opposed to, you know, where, where I feel like I'm being pressured and, and things may be slow. So I, I find that being consistent works best. Yeah, it's definitely uh, an interesting platform that has its own idiosyncrasies about it. People talk about it being a content deficient platform. So if you are posting on there, like your you're in the minority. And also I don't think there's any other platform where you tend to see so much content from like a week ago or a couple of days ago. Usually you post something and people see it the first day and then it's gone. But this actually surfaces up because it has this problem that where there are not enough people actually posting content. So if you do, like like you're mentioning yourself, you actually stand out. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting you say that because um, I think for you know LinkedIn now being acquired by Microsoft, it's known to be one of the stronger or better professional networking site or social media, professional social media sites. Um, and you know, like most social media sites, there are a lot of features and functions that continue to get updated. Um, and um, so I think it's it's important to have activity and and have presence on there, um, and and I tried to do that. Yeah. Uh, every now and then, I as uh, listeners can probably hear, I live close to an airport, so every now and then we got an airplane right over our home. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so so yeah, LinkedIn obviously uh, you know an important channel there. And I'm curious, like, so obviously your your area of specialties is you know, management consulting, helping companies go through change. Do you find there are some common misconceptions around your area expertise that you find yourself time and time again kind of running up against? Are there any that come to mind? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, you know, some of the executives that you work with, they don't understand that, you know, um, you know, change is happening all of that. There's a, that common saying that the, the only thing that's constant is, uh, is change. And so, uh, I mean, my specialty though is process and enterprise technology adoption. So a lot of, a lot of executives think people get it by just sending an email 
as if there is no disconnects or questions or, and, and I, I find, you know, you know, it, it just doesn't work. If you think your people are, are going to get specific process or enterprise technology changes just by sending one email to another with a couple of bullet points and things get socialized and adopted that you're very far from, you know, having people in your organization kind of using the technology and the processes you put in place. I mean, it's one thing for it to be compliance-based or a policy and you need to get something done. It's another thing where you're responsible for, you know, adopting new systems and processes that you have to do use day in and day out. And that may change your job, change your job, um, you know, in a major way. Mm, Yeah. And, you know, for someone in, for someone in that kind of position where uh, they're trying to get their team to adopt that new process or, or change the way that they're working, do you have do you have like any easy or, or like initial steps that people can take or ways of thinking about how to communicate across? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, so I, I work on specifically projects or transformations that have a process and enterprise technology adoption challenge. And after 20 years, I've you know, I have proprietary tools, approaches and frameworks that solve these challenges. Um and, and that include like building a work plan or a work stream that aligns to a company's project or transformation initiative. Well, you know what? Um, because the expectation is, you know, you're gonna you're gonna frame it out, and you're also gonna you're gonna do the work. You know, have a work plan and execute on it. So, you know, one of the things I, I certainly like to open up with is like creating a Gantt chart or just having a roadmap that kind of frames out like the timeframes align aligns to a specific projects methodology or approach um, and kind of breaks down uh, the change or adoption work stream into work plans or sub work streams that people can relate to. Yeah. So it sounds like really breaking things down and chunking it into step by, you know, step by step process. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I also don't start with a scratch when I do that because I do it over and over and over and I would present it to a client so I can start getting their review and we can make updates because the idea is to kind of um, get to a certain extent and agree on it after review and get sign off and approval so you can actually commit to the work. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Great. Um, and finally, as, as we sort of start to wrap things up, can you tell people more about where they can find out more about yourself? Um, obviously, it sounds like LinkedIn is the place to go to connect with you. Yeah, thank you. I, I have both a LinkedIn company page, you know, which is something you can create. Um, a lot of consultants could just do that if they get started um, instead of creating a website. I also obviously have my own LinkedIn profile. So obviously LinkedIn, whether a LinkedIn company page or my own profile, and then outside of LinkedIn through my website at www.deepaklawani.com. Excellent. Deepak, uh, I want to say thank you so much for spending your time uh, speaking with us today and uh, great to have you on the show. Uh, Thank you very, very much. Uh, Real, real pleasure to be here. Cheers. Cheers. 
Thanks for tuning in. And if you're interested in learning more about what it takes to launch a podcast as a consultant, including everything from positioning strategy to how to monetize, be sure to check out our other show appropriately named Podcasting for Consultants. You can find that by searching on just about any podcast player or at the website podcastingforconsultants.net.